are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're in a series called uh, Giants. How many of you are tired of hearing about giants? Well, that's really good because we have two more weeks of this, so uh, I'm glad you're hanging in there. When we talk about a giant, we're talking about what might seem to be an insurmountable challenge or problem or struggle in your life where you say, hey, Pastor Rick, I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know how to conquer this. I don't know how I can defeat this giant that I'm facing today. And so we've been studying the life about a guy whose name is David that we read about in the Old Testament. When we first meet him, he's probably a teenage boy. And uh, he goes to the battle lines to see his brothers who are soldiers in Saul's army, the king of Israel. They're fighting the Philistines. And in the Philistine ranks, there's a giant. A real giant. He towers over nine feet tall. His name is Goliath. And this young teenage shepherd boy finds himself facing this giant. And you know what he says? This is God's battle. The Lord will conquer him. And that day, that giant falls. But what we've learned as we've worked through this series is that this is not the only giant that David will face in his life. In fact, we've talked about many giants that he has faced, like fear and rejection and loss. And today we're going to talk about other giants that David will face in his life. You and I face many giants. And so, you know, just along the way, I've been asking you, what is your giant? And, and in text conversations and in emails back and forth and in hallway conversations and in aisle conversations, you've shared with me what your giants are. But there's been several of you who have come to me and said, my giant is addiction, Pastor Rick. I'm suffering from an addiction and I don't know how to conquer this addiction. I can't seem to overcome it. I can't seem to defeat this. It's got a hold on my life. And others of you have said things like, I'm dealing with depression. That's a giant for me. Um, the list has gotten kind of long over the months. Or over the weeks, rather. Some have said, um, I'm dealing with fear. While others have been fighting giants that are financial in nature. Some of you are fighting loss. I've lost something or somebody really dear to me. I can't seem to get over For some of you, the giant is lust. You can't seem to overpower the power of lust in Christ. For some, it's sickness. You're fighting a disease like cancer or something like that, and, and, and you want to you beat this disease down. You want to conquer this giant. But it's huge. Some people have just come to me and just said, it's, it's just sin. Sin has got a grip on my life, and, and I can't seem to break free from the power of the grip of sin on me. And for others, it's like a person. It's a relationship that's dysfunctional, or it's somebody that you're worried about, or a kid that you're praying for. You're facing giants. We all are. So I've asked you over these last few weeks, is it a past you can't shake? Is it a future you can't face? Is it a person you can't please? 
Is it a temptation that you can't resist? What is the giant in your life? You want desperate. We all face So, I, I've been pondering this question over and over in my mind for weeks, and, and I think today is the day to bring it up. And so, this is what I wanted to ask you. Is there a giant that is more dangerous than all the other giants that we face? In other words, is there a giant that towers over all the other giants? A, a giant that is, is more difficult to defeat? A giant that threatens us at a deeper level than the other giants in our lives? And obviously I have a suspicion that there is. So here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a story. I shared with you early on that what inspired this series was a book called Goliath Must Fall, written by a man whose name is Louis Giglio. And in the book, Louis Giglio tells a story about uh, reading an article one day about this woman who was mauled to death by a pet tiger. And, and Giglio said, my immediate response as I read that story was just like, wow. What an awful way to die. I mean, here you are, a living creature, and you're being eaten. You're being mauled while you're alive by this tiger. But he said, the second thought that I had was, why would anybody have a pet tiger? I mean, when you think about it, a pet tiger is a tiger. It's a natural-born killer. Um, it functions in the wild by hunting and killing and eating its prey, right? Why would you try to make a pet out of a savage beast? And Giglio said, as I thought about it, I finally came to this conclusion. And that is that when she, when she first became the owner of the tiger, it was probably a cub, right? A cute, a soft, a cuddly club, a playful cub. And, and in her mind, she could not ever imagine how this beautiful little animal could ever hurt anybody, especially... Her, someone who would care for this cub and love this cub. And really, she had the cub for her own comfort and her own pleasure. And all of that was great until the cub and became a savage. And then Giglio says, I don't know. That that is so different from the behaviors and the habits that we bring into our lives. We could not even begin to imagine that they could hurt us until they grow and become giants. We become convinced we will never defeat this. See, I, I, I think when a person begins to abuse a substance, alcohol or drugs or whatever that substance is, I, I think when a person begins to abuse a substance, they, they do it for the purpose of comfort and pleasure, right? I mean, I, you know, it's been a hard day and this, this can make me feel good and this can relieve some stress in my life and I can escape some of my struggles. I think I think when a person first begins to abuse a substance, it's all about comfort and pleasure. Or when a person 
place of negative thinking and negative conversation. It's kind of it's kind of good in a way. It, it feels good to say something negative or unkind about somebody. Or when a person begins to allow lust to take up space in their minds. It's for comfort. It's for pleasure. It, it, it brings joy in a sense. Until it grows. And at some point it becomes a giant. And we become convinced that I don't think there's any way in the world I will ever defeat this giant. I don't know how I can ever conquer this giant. I don't know how I will ever be able to overcome this giant that's in our heart. So this isn't fun to say. I don't like it. But here's what I believe. Some giants. Now, don't misunderstand me. Not all giants. If you have cancer, this does not apply, okay? But some giants are in our lives because we, and I chose this word carefully, because we wanted them. Some giants are in our lives because we invited them in. And I chose the word wanted carefully because we have been so influenced by James K. Smith who wrote this awesome book called You Are What You Love. And he says, we live toward our loves. And we live toward our wants. And if you say, Rick, I, I don't know why this is in my life, I would say, I think I know why it's in your life, because you wanted it at some point in your life. And now it's grown, and it's become a giant in your life. And so some giants are in our lives because we wanted them, we invited them, we welcomed them in, and now they have grown, and we don't know how we will ever So let me take you to the book of First Samuel, okay? Chapter 30, verse 1 through 8, and... Let me get eight up. I couldn't figure that out for a minute, but I think I'm good now. That's eight. And uh, let me just share with you some giants that David found himself facing after he had defeated this giant called Goliath. Okay? So three days later, that's just a timeline. He had been to war with his men, and uh, he's running from Saul, but he's got this army of men who believe in him, and they're fighting with him and for him. So three days later, David and his men arrived home in their town of Ziklag. They found that the Amalekites, another giant in his life, had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. Now this is David's camp. This is where he's hanging out with his wife and kids and all the soldiers and their wives and kids. So they carried off all the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. So when David and his men saw the ruins and recognized, or rather realized, what had happened to their families, they wept until they could not weep anymore. David's two wives, Ahinoam. Now there's a name, ladies, to think about naming your little girl. From Jezreel. And Abigail, we do name our girls Abby, don't we? The widow of Nabel from Carmel were among those captured. David was now in great danger. Because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. I'm sure they were also bitter about losing their wives. It's just not mentioned here. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe the writer just forgot to put that in, okay? But but don't you think for sure that they didn't want to... Well, anyway, we'll move on. But they began to talk about stoning David, okay? I love these words. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And then he said to Abiathar, priest, Bring me the ephod. So, Abiathar brought it, the ephod. 
And then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Now, you may know the context of the story, but let me help you understand it in case you don't. And that is that Saul is the king of Israel. Okay? But what we read from the prophet Samuel is that Saul really goofed up. He did not keep God's command at one point. And God said, okay, I reject you as king, and your kingdom will not end. Will not stand. It will end. And so you're done, Saul. Uh, you're out of here. And he sent Samuel to anoint this young teenage boy named David. He's the king of Israel. And so David has great success. He defeats Goliath. And he also becomes a mighty warrior. And people began to write songs about David. And the songs went like this. David has slain his ten thousands. But Saul has only slain his thousands. And Saul becomes jealous. What do you do? Do you just back away? I'm going to just fade away into the background because God's rejected me as king. He has now chosen David. And so I'm just going to disappear into history. No, no, no. Saul says, I'm not going down without a fight. So he fights. And he decides, I'm going to eliminate the problem. And he pursues David in order to take his life. And so now David is facing a giant. I mean, you know, if I ask you, so, hey, how's your day? And you said, pretty good, except I got a guy trying to kill me. I would say, well, I think that's a giant in your life. When you think that qualifies as a giant, right? Makes me tend to want to look over my shoulder all the time because this guy's chasing me and he wants to kill me. And so David is running from Saul. He has got this army of men that run with him. Their wives, their children, their livestock, their living. You know what I'm saying? And the Amalekites, another giant. They come in and they burn down Ziglag. They take all their wives and children, livestock, servants, everything. Now that's another giant. Somebody is holding my wife and that captive. I would consider that a giant in my life. Wouldn't you? That's a major problem. How do you overcome that? How do you conquer this? And if life could not be any worse, do you remember what happens next? David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, parentheses, and wives, and they began to talk about stoning him. Here's another giant. Not only is Saul wanting to kill me, now my men are wanting to stone me. What's your strategy? How do you deal with this? So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Because I think in every sermon we got to answer the question, so what are you going to do? How do you apply this to your life? You're going to work tomorrow. You're leaving here after a while. What are you going to do with this this week? So seven years ago, about this time of the year, I had a, uh, a uh, district superintendent call me. We were living in Cincinnati at the time, my wife Annette and I and my two daughters, Brittany and Morgan, and uh, he said, you know, David Music has just resigned from uh, Bethany First Church. I said, yeah, I know. I was at his inauguration at the seminary in Kansas City, and he said, well, we're trying to fill the church, and your name has come up, and I just wanted to see where you are and your thoughts about making a move across the country, maybe to Bethany First Church, if you would let us keep your name on the list. And so I said to Dr. Rowland, I said, Dr. Rowland, who has become a great friend to me, I said, 
felt for about nine months now, a sense of release from where I am. I don't know what it means. I don't know what the next step is for me, but I know that I won't be here probably very long. And I don't know if it's Bethany First Church or not, but I'll pray about it. Well, we'll pray about it. I get a phone call a month from now in December, and he says, uh, Hey, uh, there were some people at your church Sunday from Bethany. They listened to you preach. I didn't know they were there. I didn't see them. He said, But uh, they would like for you to come to dinner at the church. We pray about it. So Annette and I prayed about it. We showed up in January, I think the 4th, and we met the church staff, and we met with the church board, and uh, after that board meeting, the board said to us, uh, we want you to pray about coming. So I remember um, going back to Cincinnati, saying to God,
giants to his north, his south, his east, and his west. And what does David do? David found strength in the Lord his God. I love this line. You ready for this? You're going to love this. Okay. Then he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod. How many of you are going like, yeah, I don't know what an ephod is. I have no clue what you're talking about right here. Okay. So I brought a picture. Here it is. This is what an ephod might have looked like. It was like a mantle that a priest would wear over their shoulders. And there was a breastplate. Okay? And inside the breastplate, and I'm going to be really careful with this word because if I messed it up, you would love it. And I don't want you to love it. Okay? There was in the breastplate two substances. One was called Urim, as an M. Okay? And Tumen. You say, what were Urim and Tumen? We don't really know for sure. Scholars have tried to understand what this was all about. But in the breastplate, there was a pocket, and there was Urim and Tumen. And somehow, a priest would put this on, and they were able to decipher what God's will was. Okay? And so that's the next verse. That's what happened. So David... Uh-oh. Now we go. David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? The Lord told him, yes, go after them. And you will surely recover everything, everything that has been taken. So, here's the deal. This becomes a way of life for David. Let me give you three quick verses, okay? One day, news came to David that the Philistines were in Kilah, stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Do you know what he's actually doing? Here's what actually happened. I read this story. He says, get the priest. The priest comes in. Where's the ephod? The priest puts on the ephod. Ask God if we should go. And God says, you should go. Let me show you the next verse. After this, this is later on the death of Saul. David asked the Lord, should I move back to one of the towns in Judah? You know what he did? I read the story. Bring the priest. The priest comes in. Put on the ephod. He puts on the ephod. Ask God, should I go? And God said, you should go. Third example is this. So David asked the Lord, should I go out and fight the Philistines? Will you... Hand them over to me. 2 Samuel 5.19 The priest comes in. Puts on the ephod. Ask God what we should do. God says do it. It's what we love most about him. It's what made him shine the brightest. I love this stuff. That's why he was the most loved king of all of Israel. Because David said, I'm not doing anything, anything, until I know for sure what God wants. It was David at his best. It's when he shined the brightest. It was his best moment. Not doing anything. We'll sit right here until we know for sure what it is that God wants. You know what? In all my years, I have never in my life, never, regretted doing what I knew God desired me to do. I've never said this to myself. I've never said, you know what? I obey God and boy, do I ever regret it. That was a mistake. I've never said that. I've never said, man, that is one time I wish I had not have followed God's leading. Every time I've always said, man, I'm so glad. So glad I had the grace what God wanted. When you finish the story, David takes 
David, don't you want the priest? Can I call him? Don't you want the ephod? Don't you want to know what God wants? Take the stack. In the bottom cup, there's a piece of bread. You can dump that into. 
when you eat in a moment and when you drink in a moment, what you are literally doing is receiving the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as you begin to receive it into your body. God's grace will come into your life. I believe that with everything in me. Wesley also said, why would you not do this, this very act of the Eucharist, communion, the receiving of the Lord's Supper, as often as you can, because in it we find God's grace to live the life that He calls us to live. And so if you're saying this morning, hey Rick, you know what? I want to want what God wants. But I don't want it yet. Receive His grace this morning. To want what God wants. Let's sing together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.